great to see everybody here today. Now I can see you. Thank you. It's uh, great to be together, whether you're here in your auditorium, out in the atrium, if you're joining us online, glad that you're with us. And there's a group of people here, wonderful leaders from group missions, right? Where are you all? Wave, wave like that. Everybody turn around and wave with that bunch of people right there. We're glad you're with us. They're embarking on a whole summer mission, mission deal with uh, group work camps and um, good for you. Way to go. Well, uh, today I'm going to talk in, we're in the series called The Blessed Life. And today I'm gonna, we're going to ask the question together, am I generous? Am I? And, but people have been asking along the way about this 90-day tithe challenge that Aisha mentioned just a minute ago, how, kind of how it works. So a couple of people asked questions that I thought I should answer. One of them was this. If, if, if they do the tithe challenge and get their money back, can they still deduct that amount from their income taxes next year? <laughs> no, no, you can't. Another person asked, if I do the tithe challenge, I give 10%, but I give it to other worthy organizations and God doesn't bless my life, can I get my money back from Crossroads? No, no, you can't. No, you can't. I just thought I would clear up a couple of those questions that people have been asking. Uh, but, but many of you, as Aisha mentioned, have signed on already and have said, you know what, we're going to do this. We're going to test God, as he said. And so I applaud you for that. I know for some of you, it's a stretch. You've never done this before. Some of you, it's like, man, I don't know how we're going to do it. Well, that's kind of the idea. God is going to do it. And we trust him. And for some, I know that this topic can get under your skin a little bit. There's uh, some resistance in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit to this whole idea. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you to hang in there. You know, stay with it. Because sometimes that means God's getting close to something and there's this wall there that he wants to get over or through. And so I would just encourage you to go to God and say, what is this? Is it fear? Is it trust? Is it, you know, what is this? Because the truth is nobody's going to force you to do anything. And uh, as we've done numerous times in this series, we've had people share their giving story. And I want to invite Amber Conant to come up and share her giving story with us right now. She's uh, on our church council. And also, if you uh, are fairly new or have kids, you've probably met her at the Welcome Center. She's there almost every weekend. So we're thrilled to have you, Amber. So thank you. Thank you. My tithing story started when I got married 11 years ago. While my husband was brought up in church, I wasn't at all. Tithing was, and still is, very important to him and his family. At first, I didn't even understand or want to do it. I had a really hard time giving away the money that I worked so hard for and give it away on a regular basis. And my next question was why? Why should I give all my money away to God or to the church? But we did it and I grew in my understanding. Then we bought a house, got a mortgage. I got pregnant with baby one and then baby two. In this season, we finally make the ultimate decision that I would quit my banking job and become a full-time stay-at-home mom, which is a blessing from God in and of itself. My husband was very vocal about tithing and that it needed to stay at the very top of our list of priorities. Then came the Daring Faith campaign. Corey and I prayed and decided to increase our giving and made a list of the things we were ready to give up in order to fulfill our commitment. When Daring Faith ended, we thought that we were used to what we were already giving, so why stop? We were learning what was important to us and how to manage what God was already blessing us with. We think that it's important to start our kids on this tithing path. When they earn their weekly allowance, they have three different buckets. One is a jar for God, one is for their piggy bank, and the last is fun money. We feel like if we can start our kids on this path at a young age, it will become an established part of their love for God. As many of you know, I joined the church council four years ago. 
Being on this team of great people has really opened my eyes and my heart. I see firsthand we were, where all of our generous donations go to. It helps to pay the wonderful staff we have, maintains the amazing gift of this facility, and the ministries we do here and in the community. It's taken me 11 years, but I finally got it. We don't tithe because we have to. We tithe because God has opened so many doors for my family that we want to. We truly are experiencing the blessed life. Man, I'm so glad we have leaders like that on our church council, aren't you? Thank you. Thank you, Amber. Well, last week I bought some groceries and I was putting them in my car and uh, I took the, the carts, the grocery cart back to uh, that little corral thing where you put all your grocery carts back. And uh, it was really, it was just full, as crowded. So I had to park it like over on the side, right next to this car that was parked there. And I left a couple feet there. And I thought, well, that's good. So I'm walking over, back over to my car and this lady calls, it, calls me and she goes, excuse me, sir, excuse me. And I look back over there and she's pointing at my cart. And she, this is her car, she's been loading her groceries. And I thought, myself, I thought, gee, lady, there's pl- I have plenty of room between that cart and your car. And, and so I, I was kind, and I said, oh, is it in your way? And she says, no, you left something uh, underneath in that little uh, basket underneath. And I had. I'd left a case of beverages there. So I went over, and I got them. And I, as I was walking away, I said to her, I said, you know, if you'd kept your mouth shut, you could have had a free case of beverage. <laughs> and later I thought, you know, she could have done that. And uh, it, it would have been my loss, her gain, but that's not the honest thing to do. And over and over and over in the Bible, Jesus talks about how if we're faithful and have integrity with the little things, he will entrust us with more. And I thought, whether it's a case of pop or uh, some clerk undercharges us and we, and, we, and we call their attention to it, or it's a gift or a talent or time or our paychecks, When we are faithful with what God says to do with that little, whatever it is, he will entrust us with more. And Katie talked about that last week. And today we're taking on the question, am I generous? And it's important, it's an important question. And uh, we're going to talk about it uh, in a story in John chapter 12, where Jesus interacts with two people, Judas and Mary, who's the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And I'm going to read the story. It's printed in your program notes. You can pull them out. It'll be on the screens. Uh, It's on the YouVersion app if you want to look uh, at the notes that way. Here we go. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Two questions arise from this passage. The first one is this. Why was Mary so generous? And the second question is, why does her generosity bug Judas so much? And there are two hearts displayed here. And I want you to notice what is revealed about each heart when it comes to giving. 
Because every day, you and I are faced with situations where we have a choice. Am I going to be selfish or am I going to be generous? In fact, that's why I put the title in first person. so So that I would ask it for myself and that you would ask it this question for yourself. And to be honest, sometimes I am and sometimes I'm not. So let me tell you three things about generosity. Number one, the enemy of generosity is selfishness. We are all born thinking primarily about ourselves. We're born again into new life where we can learn to be generous. And that's the good news. If I asked you, do you want to be generous? I'll bet you a lot of people would go, I really do want to be generous. I really can't right now. I mean, we've got so many bills and credit card payments and all this business. We can't be generous. Well, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Stick with us. We'll teach you how to be generous. And this series is a big part of it. One of the very first words a child learns to pronounce real well is the word mine. Mine. And they say it with such a tone and such a pitch that it just sends this twinge right down your spine every time they do it, right? You'll be sitting watching a movie and all of a sudden from the next room over, mine, 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 mine. And you get up and you go in the room and, and it's always this. There's a younger kid with an older kid and the younger kid's tugging on this toy. Mine, 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 mine. Now, there comes a time in every parent's life when we don't care about justice. We just care about quiet. We don't care whose toy it is. We just want the noise to stop. So we tell the older kid, just give it to her. But dad, it's mine. It really is mine. I don't care. Just give it to her. She has stuff of mine too. Just let her have it. (laughs) You ever done that? Well, we learn this word, mine. And God wants us to grow out of it, to grow out of it. And God actually used the word mine when it came to the tithe, the first 10%. God says, actually, that part is mine, is mine. It belongs to me. That's what God says. And this is an amazing story where we see this interaction with Jesus and Judas and Mary. Because when it, when it mentions Judas, it says that Judas asks in verse 5, why was it this perfume sold and given to the poor? Ever heard anyone say anything like that? where they're looking at somebody else's extravagance and they're saying, oh man, they could, they're so extravagant. I'll give you a definition of extravagance. It's anybody who has more than us, right? We'll be driving through this neighborhood and we'll look at the houses and go, whoa, these houses are extravagant. Then we get a raise and move into that neighborhood. Now the extravagant neighbors are over there, over there. Every day we face these kinds of situations. Have you ever been with someone who's critical about the wealth of another person? Or have you ever been in a spot where you thought things like this? Wow, if they would just sell that house or that boat or take a shorter vacation or get a different purse or drive a different car or whatever, they could give all that money away and they could do a lot of good with it. You ever thought that? What a waste they live in such a big house. There's two problems with that. Here's the first one. Number one, we have no idea how generous those people are. We have no idea. I have a friend in Fort Collins, huge house. He and his wife are some of the most generous people I know. And here's the second thing wrong with that kind of thinking. It's a deflection from our own need to ask the question, am I generous? When we're busy thinking about how generous other people ought to be, I'm not asking it about myself. 
And so whenever we are tempted or whenever this thought comes to our mind or we're challenged with somebody who says, wow, if they would just sell that and give the money away, a lot of good could be done. Now, remember where that statement came from. It came from Judas. All right? This isn't Jesus. This is Judas. Jesus goes, leave him alone. Leave her alone. Let her do it. So when we're faced with this situation, we need to look inside and not ask what are other people doing with their, their resources. I need to ask, what am I doing with mine? And here's the second thing, another thing that amazes me about Judas. It says that Judas is in charge of what? The money bag. It is. In those days, they didn't have banks. And so, and Jesus was on the road a lot, had an itinerant ministry, and, and people would give offerings to support these people as they went from town to town. And they'd put it in this money bag, and Judas had charge of it. And who gave Judas charge of the money bag? Who's in charge of this little group? It's Jesus. Jesus put Judas in charge of the money bag. Do you think Jesus knew that Judas was a thief? That he was taking stuff out of the money bag? Yeah, it, it, two years before, he said, I, I picked 12 of you and one of you is a devil. So he knew. So why would he do this? Well, he didn't do it to give, set Judas up to fail. He gave it Judas opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to succeed in an area of his weakness. And Jesus never gave up hope on Judas for that. Not even to the last minute. This is six days before he's crucified. Judas still has the money bag. He does. And God gives us opportunities. He gives us tests. He doesn't tempt us. James 1 says God doesn't tempt us. But he gives us opportunities to grow. And at verse 6, it says that Judas is a thief. He took money out of the offering basket for himself. Now, think about this. Do you know anybody, would you or anybody you know in church when, the, when our offering baskets came by just a little minute ago, could you imagine anybody actually just taking some of that? Could you? No, I don't think any of us could imagine that or take it. We wouldn't do it. We wouldn't take money that belongs in the offering basket. But here's the question. Is there money in our accounts that actually belongs in the offering basket? Something to think about. I have a friend who shortly after uh, becoming a follower of Christ was in church with me, and I wondered how he would react to the offering. Kind of new to him. So the basket came by, and he pulls out a five, and he sticks it in the basket, and then he starts shuffling with the money. And I'm thinking, what is he doing? So I go, what are you doing? He goes, I'm making change. I thought, for a five? I, did, I didn't say it, but... The enemy of generosity is selfishness. All right, number two. I want to talk about the extravagance of generosity. And the reason I say extravagance is because God is a giving and extravagant, generous God. It's the way he is. Uh, last Tuesday, I posted this picture on my Facebook page. Yeah. My comment was my office today. And I had a lot of drop-bys. You can show a picture of people who draw things that drop by. I had a lot of those that came into contact with me that day, which I was very thrilled with. But go back to that other picture. You know, when God created the world, he could have created the whole thing to look like Nebraska. <laughs> but he didn't. He created snow-capped mountain peaks and a river, the Arkansas River. This is near Salida. Arkansas River, that, all that river was snow three days before that. Crystal clear rivers. The smell of sage, pine. God 
God could have created the whole world just boring and flat. He created it like that. And a lot of Colorado looks like that. And I want to remind you, the Tetons are in Wyoming. Just want to remind you about that. People razz me all the time about Wyoming and how boring it is. I just want to remind you, the Tetons are in Wyoming. God put them there. God's an extravagantly generous God when it comes to creation. Jesus, extravagant with his life. What's the most valuable thing you have? Your life. Jesus said, I'll give you mine. I'll give you my life. Every last breath. Extravagant love. There's extravagant uh, gifts in the Bible. Uh, King David, Old Testament. They were uh, in a building campaign for their first church. Called, they called it the temple. And they have this building campaign and they may have people make commitments to giving. And David goes, I'll make a commitment. And he brings an extraordinarily generous gift. Translated in today's dollars, it would have been $21 billion. We could build a pretty nice church with $21 billion, at least a building. Here's another example. Jesus pointed out an extremely extravagant gift one day that this woman gave and the size of her offering was two pennies. You see, when it comes to giving, it's not about the size of the offering. It's about the size of the heart behind the offering. And she gave it all. She gave it all. It's not money that God wants. It's our hearts. And in John 12, Mary gave a gift of nard. You know, we're not familiar with that term. It's a very expensive perfume that was worth a year's wages. And there was a lot of it, about a pint. And the perfume is, this perfume is usually imported from India. You know, it didn't come next day air. It came next year camel. That's how it came. Or maybe it was an heirloom that was passed down in their family. Or maybe Martha and Mary and Judas were people of means. And they bought this very expensive perfume. It doesn't matter, but it was a year's salary. So... What's your annual income? Just get a ballpark figure in your mind. What, what do you make in a year? You got it? Okay, now I want you to go down, to, down Denver in a very upscale store, and I want you to spend all of it on a bottle of perfume. One bottle. I checked. The most expensive perfume you can buy in the world costs $12,721 per ounce. You want a little, that was 500 bucks. That was 1,000 bucks right there. Now, buy as much of that perfume as you can. Now, the next time you have a good party, a party for one of your friends, I want you to take it there and dump it out on their feet. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the reaction, isn't it? It's like, what? What? What a... Judas's mind, what a waste. But that's what Mary did. A year's wage. Just took it, just right on Jesus' feet, wiped it with her hair, since the fragrance filled the room. It's only Jesus makes this kind of obscure comment that nobody just went right over his head at the time. Um, but turns out this was the only anointing Jesus had for his burial. In Jewish custom, you'd take people down, you'd wrap them in spices, all this business before you buried him and then bury him. Well, because of the crucifixion and how it turned out on Friday night, uh, it was a rush job, and so they wrapped him in a shroud and threw him in the tomb. And the women came back actually on Sunday to anoint. They had brought 100 pounds of spices, and you know Jesus had already done that express checkout thing, so he wasn't around. But 
Um, but this was an extravagant gift, extravagant gift. Could you give a gift to God that would impress him? Could you? I'm talking a dollar amount. If you could buy a gift, spend it, and give it to God, what, what gift would impress him? What would impress him? To the one who has everything. And if he doesn't have it, he can make more. Well, in 2 in Corinthians, Paul talks about something that we could give God that would impress him. And I'm gonna read this passage here. Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches, pushing them to the very limit. The trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. There's some maturity, isn't there? The trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy, desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected, an outpouring of pure and generous gifts, extravagance. I was there and saw it for myself. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than they could afford. Extravagant. Pleading for the privilege of helping out in the relief of poor Christians. This was totally spontaneous, entirely their own idea, and caught us completely off guard. What explains it, why did they do it, was that they had first given what? Themselves. Unreservedly to God and to us. And that is the gift that impresses God. To give him ourselves. In the Old Testament, it says, there's a word that says God rejoices over us. And the picture is someone jumping up and down and spinning round and round. You know, that's how God feels about you. You get up in the morning, he jumps up and down and spins all around. And he says, oh, it's so good to be with you today. I'm going, where's my coffee? But he's doing that. God rejoices over you. It's not money that God wants. He has no use for it. He wants our hearts. And when we get, he gets our hearts, he also gets our money. And if you think that uh, God got my heart and he doesn't have any of your money, then you're just, you're just, you're just, it's just not true. Because Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart is. There your heart is. So when God gets our heart, he gets our treasure. There are three levels of giving mentioned in the Bible. There's tithes, 10%. Then there's offerings, which are above the tithe. And then there's what's called extravagant offerings. They're all illustrated in the Bible. And uh, so there's three levels of giving. And when one person discovered this in the Bible, he called a friend up and said, oh, I'm so excited. I just discovered there's three levels of giving. And his friend goes, I know, I know. He goes, wait a minute, what are they? His friend goes, they're tithes, offerings, and painful offerings. And extravagant offerings sometimes can be painful. A chicken is talking to a pig one day. And their a chicken goes, I think we ought to be given some offerings. And the pig goes, okay, I'm, I'm in. The chicken goes, I'll, I'll donate a dozen eggs and you donate a ham. And the pig goes, that's easy for you. For you, it's an offering. For me, it's a painful offering. It's a sacrifice. And do you know that most Christians never get even to the first level? They don't get to the 10% level. You know, the statistic I quoted a few weeks ago, 5% of people who are followers of Christ actually get to the tithe. 95% of people miss out. And as we've said in the series over and over, um, we're encouraging people to live on 90% of what God blesses than 100% where we're on our own, in our own strength. And that's what the tithe challenge is all about, is to try that on if you've never done that before. And here's the good news, though. If we, when we get to the first level, it's a breakthrough. And now we can give offerings and extravagant offerings. And there's something that happens in our heart, apparently. I don't quite understand it. But when we get to the 10% level, it's just like the, the, something is broken in our lives, the power of money, and, and we have the ability and the capacity and the desire to, to do offerings. It's... 
It's just the way God says it works. In the Blessed Life book, many of you are reading that. There's a couple named Steve and Melody. And one day after Steve had paid all of his bills, he decided, I'm gonna add up the money I have in my checking account. So he looked at the amount and he goes, ooh, that's a pretty good number. And he said, well, I wonder what I have in my savings account. So he added that to it. And then all the way through there, he's just being thankful to God for the amount of money that he's been able to save at this point. He goes, well, I, he adds his retirement investment to that amount. And then he adds his investments to that amount. And he comes up with this, this it's, it's a big figure. And he goes to bed that night saying to God, God, great, he's so grateful. God, thank you that you've given us the ability to capacity to earn this kind of living and we've been able to save this much. Next morning he gets up and he says, God said to, he, he says, God came to him and said, hey, Steve, how much money do you have? And his first thought was, oh no, I shouldn't have added it all up. So he said, uh, God, uh, you mean in my wallet? God goes, no, you know what I mean. In my savings account? He goes, no, no, all of it. So God, he says, God, you know, you know how much I have. He, God goes, it's, it's a lot, isn't it? He goes, yeah. And then he said, God asked him, would you give it to me? And Steve said, my first response was fear, which is what the enemy will do. It's like, oh, you can't, you, could, you can't trust God. If God asks you to do that, he's gonna leave you. And he said, you know, my wife and I prayed it through and we decided with joy, they would do it. And so they liquidated everything that they had at that point in their life and gave it all away and kept working. And about a year and a half later or so, uh, God comes to him again. And he says to Steve, hey, Steve, how much money do you have? And his response was, I'm good, I'm good. No, God goes, no, I want you to add it up, all four of them. So he added all four of those categories together. And he had at that point exactly twice of what he'd had before he gave it all away. And God said to Steve, what took you 20 years to save, I did it in your life in a little over a year. And my point of telling that story isn't su to suggest that we all ought to go sell everything we have and give it away, unless it's what God asks you to do. And whatever God asks you to do, do it, do it. And if he asks you someday to do an extraordinary gift, something where you'd go, you'd gulp and go, I, 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 I. And at that moment, you go, can we trust God or not? Can we? And when you do, whatever you do, whenever we do what God says, we will look back on that later and realize that was, there was such joy and such an adventure and such an unbelievable way of seeing God come through because we've just been obedient with what he asked us to do. And that's been a theme at Crossroads Church from the beginning. We don't push people into this. We simply say, Ask God what he wants you to do and do that. Just do that. Just do that. So here's number three, the reward of generosity. There's a reward that comes with generosity and it might be financial. For Mary, it wasn't that. This, is a, this story is in John, but it's also in Mark and Matthew. And in Mark, Jesus makes this comment about Mary's gift. It's in verse 9, 14, 9. I tell you the truth, this is Jesus. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be what? Remembered and discussed. From that, Jesus said, from this point on, wherever the good news goes out, Mary's story is going to be told. In other words, Mary is going to be very, very famous. She's going to be very famous. Mary didn't, Mary didn't come for her 15 minutes of fame but she got 2,000 years of it. She just came to give. She just came to love on Jesus. 
Mary gave, why would Mary give such a generous gift? Why would she do it? Well, because two months earlier, Jesus had raised her brother, Lazarus, from the dead. Now, if God raised one of your family members from the dead, would that affect how you give to him? I think it would. Because generosity comes from gratitude. Grateful people are generous people. You're going to see this. People who understand the gift of God in their lives have a much easier time of being generous. If one of your family members was raised from the dead, would you be grateful? Oh my, yes, absolutely. Now here's the truth. According to Ephesians, anyone who is a follower of Christ has been raised from the dead. We were dead in our sin, and it says Jesus has raised us into new life. And yeah, we haven't experienced the complete fulfillment of that and another resurrection that's coming, but the death that reigns in so many people's lives is gone. It's just gone. Wouldn't that affect our gratitude to know that? It does. Mary did not come to be rewarded, but God rewarded her. And God always rewards generosity. And here's the definition of generosity. When we give and expect nothing in return, that's generosity. Selfishness is giving and thinking God owes us something. That's selfishness. Generosity is the other. And when, when God sees that, God rewards it. In fact, in Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. God is a rewarder. That word rewarder means extravagant rewarder. It's like this. If somebody, if you lose your wallet, has 50 bucks in it, and somebody returns your wallet, and you pull it out and give them 50 bucks for, as a reward, that's, that's not what he's talking about here. What he's saying is if you lose your wallet, and somebody finds it, gives it to you. You give them $5,000, even though there was only $50. Why? Because you're not rewarding the amount. You're rewarding the act. And whenever God sees generosity, it says he rewards it. He sees it, he rewards it. With Mary, Mary didn't, come, Mary didn't give to get. She, came, she gave to gave, and she was rewarded for that. That's the way it works. God is always rewards generosity. He cannot not reward you. And here's the reason why God is a rewarder. It's a part of his nature. It's just who he, it's the same reason God is generous. He cannot not be generous. He couldn't have created a boring world. He couldn't have done it. Blessings come into our lives. They do. We might get a raise, an unexpected check in the mail, end of the year bonus, and I would put that in the category of blessing, wouldn't you? These are wonderful things that come into our lives. But sometimes, there are things that are like, these are high-grade or high-octane blessings. I would put that in the category of a reward. So in my brain, a reward is a high-grade blessing. As a part of this series, Barbara and I have been, we, at the, when we started, we thought, you know what, let's be more generous during this series. So we were doing a number of things. And one of the things we did was, uh, she, we did, agreed that I could carry three $100 bills in my wallet and that I could give them out in situations where uh, I felt like God wanted me to give $100 in this situation. And so we gave one of them away a couple weeks ago. Uh, I gave one of them away this morning here at church. Um, and, I have one, and I have one left. And so I get to carry these $100 bills in my wallet. And, and the reward, the reward isn't that the look on that person's face when I gave them the money. That, that's not the reward. The reward is this. Every day I get up. And I think, I've got a hundred bucks in my pocket that I'm going to give to somebody. 
God, just show me how and when. That's the reward. And I know some of you are thinking, you got one left. (laughs) You never know, whatever God says. You know, you never know, whatever God says. I did have a guy come up to me after the first service, gave me a 20, he said, put it with the 100. Generosity creates generosity. Pretty cool. As a part of a, uh, another thing we did was uh, we have a pr- friend in our lives, doesn't live in this community, who had a bunch of unexpected medical bills. And uh, we wrote her a check and sent it to her. And um, then we got to spend a little bit of time with her and uh, she was overwhelmed. It was just a few hundred dollars. She was overwhelmed by the, by the gift. And again, it wasn't the size of the gift. She just said, I just felt noticed. I felt embraced. I felt valued. Tears. You know, the response was way over the amount of the, that the check was. You'd have thought I'd, we'd given her $5,000. Led into a really wonderful conversation. And I thought, reward. That's a reward. Amber, a little bit ago, talked about how um, she wanted her kids to grow up learning to tithe. And I've, I know no, lots, tons of people, many of you go, I learned when I was a kid. Me too, me too. Um, and I... You know, I learned it from my parents, my dad. Uh, we, would, we were farmers in Wyoming. He would drive me through the fields and he'd go see those potatoes over there. Those are God's potatoes. That field right there is God's potatoes. I mean, it's very visual to me. Oh, those are God's potatoes. God goes, he wants to hail on his potatoes. That's his business. But those are God's potatoes. <laughs> Mine are over here, the ones that didn't get hailed. No, that's not, that's not true. So, uh, we raised our kids that way. Well, um, a number of years ago, um, during the Daring Faith, you mentioned that campaign where we raised a bunch of extra money to do some things around in the community and in our church that we needed to do. And my son, who was coming here at the time, uh, had told me all along, Dad, I'm, I'm tithing here, which was great. I'm, that's so encouraging and affirming. Um, and then we did the Daring Faith where he asked people to give over and above their tithe to, this, to this, all these ministries. And, and he told me, he made a two-year commitment, and when he told me the amount that he committed it was a jaw dropper for me. You know, as a dad, I'm thinking, you cannot afford to give this much money away. You know, that's the enemy thinking, isn't it? It's like, why would I think that? And then I thought, isn't it the heart of a parent so that their kids would grow up and to be generous and sacrificially generous? And when I saw that in my son, there was just part of me that I went, ah, oh, that is a reward. That is a reward. It's beyond blessing. It's the reward. And God says, I'm a rewarder. I am. God says, you trust me. You trust me with your heart. You trust me with your stuff. You trust me with your tithe. I will empower you. I will give you. I will bless your life. And so the question is, do you trust him? Do you? So why don't you bow your heads right now and just go to God and say, God, what are you saying to me today, right now, in this, in this series, in this message? God, what is it that you want to communicate to me? You know, Dennis raised the question, am I generous? God, am I? I'm going to face choices today and tomorrow and this week where I'm going to choose to be generous or, or not. Maybe God's saying to you, 
You need to give this up. You've been hanging on to this thing for a long time. Maybe it's money, maybe it's something else. Relationship you need to let go, an addiction, conflict, a grudge. Maybe God's saying to you, sign up for the tithe challenge. Trust me, test me. He might be saying to you, it's time for you to open it up. I want you to give an extraordinary gift. And God, we want that to come from heart of generosity, hearts that have been just loved by you and cared for by you, saved by you, resurrected by you. Might we give out of that heart of deep gratitude. In Jesus' name.